How to become an inspirational speaker, a transformative leader, make somewhere the place to be. These answers can only be passed down from one generation to the next through stories. Each story is not a step-by-step -step guide, but rather delivers the principles for success or the intangibles. Tiger Tales is a Toastmasters club from Rochester, New York that started seven years ago. Starting with its founders, this club has produced eloquent orators that have gone on to become this generation of leaders all around the world. Join us in talking with our club's cornerstones, revealing the undefined, the intangibles. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Intangibles podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Xavier, and I'm also here with Alex. Say hi. Hi, everyone. Alex, today here we have an awesome guest. Can you talk <laughs> more about him? <laughs> yes, I can talk about our guests because our guest is me. This is the first conversation that Xavier and I had sort of as a as a pilot test balloon to see how this, this would all work. And the whole reason that we wanted to make this podcast is, is to try to explain something that has often gone unsaid in Toastmasters. And for those of you who don't know, Toastmasters is an international public speaking and leadership organization it's one of the biggest educational organizations, nonprofits in the world. It's got hundreds of thousands of members all around the world, thousands of clubs in, in pretty much every country on the planet. It is an incredible organization. However, however, there is a tension in Toastmasters that there is almost like this founding principle of it is a professional, polished networking and communication and leadership organization. And that there, there's clubs where that is the predominant theme of Toastmasters. And oftentimes at the international level, when they're, when they're making all the rules and setting things up, that's the predominant theme. But there is this subversive magic that actually makes Toastmasters run. And that subversive magic, when you meet the members who understand that, who get that soul work that happens when a Toastmasters club is really successful, that's what I believe has grown Toastmasters to the place that it is because the world doesn't need another networking organization. The world needs what Toastmasters almost by accident seems to have stumbled into in terms of storytelling, vulnerability and feedback and catapulting people into facing their fears. And that what Toastmasters built with those elements is a transformation community. That is what I was mentored into by Corey, and I'm really looking forward to sharing our conversation with him and the, the things that he's going to share with us about that transformation community and about the way that he has helped to shape Toastmasters for these hundreds of, of students at, at Tiger Tales and, and, and members at other clubs as well, that he's one of these people that gets that subversive, 
magical message of with storytelling and vulnerability and facing fears, we can transform people's lives. And my life, my life was transformed by that. I think that as we talk with each of the different folks with Tiger Tales, they're gonna have a different perspective on that subversive magic, those intangibles that make Toastmasters what it is today. And I think what's so cool about this episode, particularly, is that you talk about your personal transformation with Corey mentoring you. And then it spreads out into what would this look like in an entire club? And in this case, it's Tiger Tales, how transformation breeds transformation and people that have come thinking that this is going to be that networking leadership are transformed into powerful and passionate speakers. Exactly. The way that that subversive message is spread is through those individual stories of transformation. And so I get a chance in this one to share mine, but that as each person is transformed by the power of vulnerability and feedback and facing fears and sharing stories, that transformation community grows within Toastmasters, where even among some of the leadership, there's folks who don't understand that magic. And it's that tension that I hope that we can, we can pull on and that we can start to reveal what can make Toastmasters even better than it is by having more and more people understand these stories of transformation. And I think those individual stories, the more of them that folks hear, the more people will believe in the power of transformation communities and that Toastmasters can be not just a, a marginal improvement to someone's ability to public speak or someone's ability to lead, but a truly transformative experience for someone's life. And that there's some story where you're hearing a person on here speak that sounds like you. It's like, wow, what? This is exactly what I was thinking, feeling at this point. And this is where they went. Absolutely. So I hope you enjoy uh, my story and some of the transformations that I've been through. But more importantly, I, I'm excited to share all the various and diverse stories that we've, we've gotten a chance to experience. And, and I hope that that grows your belief in in transformation for yourself and, and for your club and for your fellow members that we've got a really powerful thing here. I hope that this podcast encourages you to grow that powerful thing and, and to share it, especially as, as we come out of COVID and, and we head into a, a, a new world where there's new possibilities for connection. Indeed. So let's dive in. <laughs> So Alex, the first question I have for you is, how did you get started in Toastmasters? Tell us that story. Sure. So the beginning of my Toastmasters journey was when Corey actually joined Toastmasters. Corey Wilson, he's a mentor of Tiger Tales as well. He helped us get the, the club started. He joined Toastmasters in, I think, 2010 or 2011 with a few other 
a few other leaders that he was mentoring. And he was mentoring them in, in a lot of different areas in their life. And Toastmasters was a way that he didn't have to teach them public speaking, or at least not on his own. So uh, when Corey started mentoring me, this was a way for him to get me some education and, and some mentoring and experience in public speaking without him having to give me all the feedback on his own. I joined up with MCC Toastmasters, I think in the spring of 2012. What kind of mentoring did you expect to get from Toastmasters? So I joined up with Toastmasters and my first speech, my icebreaker, to help folks kind of get to know me, I was talking about what my goals were in Toastmasters. And my biggest goal was to, I, I called my speech breaking the fourth wall because I had had lots of experience with musicals and acting and just being up in front of people, but always as a character. And so I had this fourth wall to protect me as a, as a mask between me and whatever audience I was in front of. And, and so even that speech was extremely polished and, and I was presenting it in that way of, of having a mask. But my goal for Toastmasters and what I've gotten the most out of from Toastmasters personally as a public speaker is the ability to be myself in front of a room full of people and to bring them on an emotional journey together. Now, Alex, you mentioned a fourth wall and how it was crumbling down. How did that wall start crumbling down? How did that wall start crumbling down? So it was two things. In Toastmasters, what it looked like was the rewiring of my brain by applause after the speeches that I gave. I think that's something that people discount and it's something they shouldn't discount, that even if you get up and give a table topic and you stumble your way through it, there's that applause that happens. And every time that happens, that you finish speaking and, and there's applause afterwards and, and you're looking at the audience and they're smiling at you, that they appreciate what you got up to share or even that you got up to share and face that fear, that rewires the part of of the brain that is afraid of being in front of people and sharing. And that was part of it. And the other part of it outside of Toastmasters was in my mentoring with Corey and being mentored and, and we would talk about all, like I would be able to tell him the things that, like if I were to get up in front of a room full of people and share this thing, I would be deeply ashamed. And even to tell him to be that pit that exists, I think, in everyone's heart of, of stuff that if people found out about me, I would be ashamed and people would think less of me. The other piece of, of being able to break free and be myself in front of a room full of people is to have someone in your life that knows all that stuff and loves you anyway. So those, those are the two things that got me able to be myself in front of, in front of people. The, the, the first thing that anyone in Toastmasters will be able to experience is that rewiring of the brain that I got up 
and gave speeches at different levels of vulnerability, different levels of polish, different levels of stumbling over words. And each and every time the response is a thank you that comes in the form of applause. Since you were a stage actor in all these musicals, did it feel different than an applause that you might get there? I think it took a while for it to feel different because my first few speeches, even up to my international speech, my first international speech were performances. And so the applause felt like good job on your performance. Mm. I think it took until my second international speech that I competed with for me to learn that at least some people in the audience, not everyone knows knows it when they see it, knows vulnerability, and just not everyone has that sense. But I knew from that speech that there were some people in the audience who were not saying good job, but they were saying thank you for sharing that part of yourself. Wow. And the, the further I've gotten in Toastmasters and the more that I've learned from Corey, the more that I have learned to seek out those people in the audience really just to get to know them because those those people with that sense for when someone is sharing a piece of themselves or someone is just performing that and they can appreciate a performance that it, there's nothing wrong inherently wrong with performing but there's something powerful and transformative about me giving a piece of myself to the audience in seeking out those people who who recognize that when it's happening and are applauding that at the end of the speech, those are the people whose feedback I want. Because there will be some people who, who will give me some technical tips about how to perform better, but those are the folks who are gonna be able to show me how to take the audience with me on an emotional journey. By having some of those people in the audience, does it feel like there's a freedom uh, that's granted by being vulnerable and still getting applause from the type of people who are hearing this? I think the freedom to, to be vulnerable, it, those things help, but I think the freedom comes to very much more from the, the second thing that I was talking about that happens outside of Toastmasters, uh, that the freedom to be vulnerable and fearlessly vulnerable comes from being known there's a limit to how much an audience can do that for you. That's something that happens between you and one other person. And if you're very lucky, maybe a few other people, but to be in a situation where you're completely known, all of that dark stuff gets out there and you've gone through, I mean, whether it's formally or informally, you've gone through that fourth and fifth step process of, of getting your darkness out into the light with one other person, that that gives you freedom to get closer to the kinds of pain and share that in a speech so that the people who are looking for it can relate to the, the piece of you that you're sharing. The, the very best speeches I've seen and the very best speeches I feel that I've given have had that blend of extremely relatable pain and humor to guide people through that pain with the message of this is how that pain can be relieved or this is how that pain can be overcome. That's the, that's the holy grail. <laughs>
that everyone who's giving an international speech that's worth their salt, that's what we're looking for in giving transformative speeches is revealing that pain, talking about the people that have helped us through it and the things that, that have helped us through it, and then guiding the audience through it with humor and, and levity to make sure that they don't get stuck at the bottom of a pit of that full of that pain. And my second international speech definitely erred on the side of not having enough levity in it. Partially, I think, because I wasn't done processing through that pain myself. You have to show people that there is an, the other side, a, way, a yep. way out to truly be inspiring. Exactly. And I, I don't know that I was all the way on the other side of it yet, or at least far enough past it that, that I could bring that levity into it. I remember arguing with Corey because he, he, he kept reminding me that there needed to be levity there. So I added levity in the form of wordplay that was wow. fun for me to write, but it wasn't anywhere near fun enough to listen to, to bring people up from where I was bringing them to. And I, I remember arguing with Corey about, I, this isn't something that I can joke about. And that in order to really inspire people, that levity has to be there so that you're not just hammering them with this pain because people will shut down. And I think that's part of what happened in, in that speech is that big parts of the audience shut down because it was just too heavy. So you've kind of mentioned your two international speeches a few times here. I was curious if we could get into just a little bit more detail about what each one meant for you and maybe some of the context around each of those speeches. Sure. My first international speech was just as I was getting ready to graduate school. So it was the spring of 2013. I was graduating from RIT. So I gave it the first time at the club level, probably sometime in February. And the district contest was in May, literally days before graduation. Whoa. So that was a very busy time in 2013. A little bit manic all the way through it. <laughs> But that speech for me, it's all about recognizing other forms of intelligence. And at that time, I had just finished wrestling through the fact that I had started engineering school and throughout, over the course of engineering school, I realized that I'm really not all that good at the kinds of things that engineers do, especially when it comes to, I mean, the way I say it in the speech is that engineers take numbers and turn them into patterns and turn those patterns into things in the world that work, whether it's electrical or computer, you, that you start from numbers and go in and you work calculations and other things to turn that into, into something. Allow me to draw a parallel from nature. In the Serengeti of Africa, there is no animal that is as good as a giraffe at picking the leaves off the tops of trees. It is the very best at what it does. Similarly, in their own way, salmon are at the very best at what they do. No other creature in the animal kingdom can swim upstream with as much strength and determination as a salmon can. And what many of our schools today are doing are asking salmon 
to see how well they can pick leaves off the tops of trees. <laughs> it's a ridiculous image, isn't it? And yet, what happened to me, as happens to countless other engineers in training, is a few leaves were caught in our mouths on the way down. <laughs> Good grades in math and science labeled me as an engineer before anyone, including me, could take the time to figure out what I was truly skilled in. I think what I'm realizing now is that the patterns for me are not so much about words or numbers. Um, it's, it's more about the emotional landscape and finding ways to, to put words, words to that. So in, in that speech, I talk about how I'm a poet and I'm an artist and, and that there's all these different kinds of intelligence. And because I was good at math and science in school, that I kind of got pigeonholed into being an engineer before I even explored any other opportunities. Like the things that I didn't mention in that speech that I might, if I were to rewrite it, that there were, there were glimmers of, of that. And those glimmers were discouraged rather than being encouraged as, okay, well, yes, you like musical theater, but that's a hobby. <laughs> and you can't make money at that. And engineering is real. And art is, it's a hobby. It's a, and I, I don't know that I would want to make a living doing art, but like, I don't know that I, I could make a living as a poet or that I would want to. I, to there's, there's a kind of life that's associated with that that I don't know that I want. But that was my first speech. Is It was all about unlocking the hidden genius inside of each person by acknowledging the kinds of intelligence that they have. And that, so it's informed by Sir Ken Robinson's work. He actually recently, just very recently passed away. Uh, less so by um, seven intelligences the emotional intelligence and kinesthetic intelligence and, and that there's all these intelligences that really don't get measured because they're not measurable or we've never taken the time to measure them because they're not profitable. <laughs> <laughs> that when we acknowledge and recognize those intelligences in ourselves and in, in the people around us, that it can unlock the skills and abilities that come out of those intelligences and give people permission to live lives that maximize the ways that they use that intelligence. What I want you to see is that we are all brilliant. You are brilliant. You are brilliant. And so each one of you should go and find the intelligences, the passions that exist in the hearts and minds of the people around you and give them what they need to grow. Support them, nurture them, mentor them if you can. And you just might unlock the hidden genius. So that was my first speech. And I, I had mixes of humor in there. And I think, that's, I think that's why I was able to take that speech to the district is, is that it was it was performative and theatrical in the way that an international speech really has to be to, to, to make it to that level. And it had the levity, but it also had the relatable experience of, of having a passion 
that doesn't necessarily get recognized. And, and so th those were all themes that helped that speech make it to the district level. And just how recently you went through it. Yes, it was very fresh for me. But I know that it's an experience that a lot of people have of being pushed either by parents or just by life into a career or a job that does not capitalize on their passion or their what they really believe that they're good at. Having bosses and, and people of influence in their lives that encourage them to just focus on, on what's needed of them rather than what they're good at. Hope you guys all enjoyed. Join us for the next episode where we'll talk about Alex's second international speech from 2016 and now his third from just this year. See you next time. Isaac, are you a robot? <laughs> <laughs> That's my, uh, my vocal stretches. <laughs> <laughs>